amen, 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 amen. Hey, stay on your feet for just a second. I want to welcome everybody joining us. Welcome Polaris. Welcome Short North Whitehall. Welcome to you right here in Hilliard. Make some noise for yourselves. Welcome to everybody that's joining us online, on television. And a special welcome to the men and women joining us from hundreds of correctional facilities across the nation. It's such an honor to be with you. Hey, do me a favor. Before you sit down, uh, I just want to let you know I'm not Pastor Chad. Okay? Look, for, for all of our new guests, I know you were coming here and you saw maybe pictures of Pastor Chad and you're like, that's not, that's not. It's false advertisement. My name is Kayim. I've got the honor to finish out the series today. I, I serve this church as a central youth pastor, and I'm also on our, our worship team. Um, but Pastor Chad asked me to finish out the, the service. Has Pastor Chad been preaching or has he been preaching? Okay. No, has he been preaching or has he been preaching? Okay. Just want to make sure it wasn't just me thinking he was preaching. He'd been preaching. So uh, I want to honor Pastor Chad and Katie. Thank you so much for uh, this great gift to be able to share with you today. And um, we're going to tell the story of the church a little bit today. So you're going to get to see where we came from and uh, where we are now. It's going to be awesome. One more time, let's honor Pastor Chad and Katie for all they do. All they do. All right. Go ahead and be seated every location. Like I said, my name's Kaim. I serve as our central youth pastor. And uh, as the youth pastor, I will not ever, ever, ever skip the chance to tell you about what God's doing in Rock City Youth, ever. And I've got the mic and you got nowhere to go. So you're gonna listen. We just came back from an incredible time um, at winter camp uh, just a couple of weeks ago. We had about 200 uh, people, over 200 people go to Heartland. Uh, which is not too far from here, and we did winter camp. We had a ton of fun. We, had, we played some messy games. One of them may or may not have involved a dead fish. I didn't make that game up. Somebody, I, I'm, not, I'm not taking credit for that, but uh, it was an incredible time. Students met with God. It was, it was awesome, uh, but that's not all we do. We don't just do big events. We don't just do games. The most important thing we do as a youth ministry is small groups. And so I want to invite any 6th through 12th grader, if you know a 6th through 12th grader, if you have a 6th through 12th grader, if you are a middle schooler or a high schooler, small groups start at 6 o'clock at Hilliard and Polaris every single Sunday night. So unless you hear it differently, you can expect us to be here every Sunday night uh, at 6, and we're going to dive into the Word. We're going to grow in relationship with each other and with God. And so write that down if you're a parent. Get your child here at 6 six o'clock Hilliard and Polaris. And then Whitehall is launching small groups in February. Short North is also gonna launch some small groups here pretty soon. Uh, We also do a thing called Youth Night and Youth Night is next Sunday night. And so um, everything we do pretty much is on a Sunday. Um, But next Sunday night, and it's an opportunity for our students to invite friends. It's an opportunity for new students to jump into something that's maybe a little less intimidating than maybe burying your soul in a small group. You get to come and have some fun. Uh, We're going to do a silent disco next week. We do that every single February. If you don't know what a silent disco is, look it up after church. I'm not going to explain it to you. All right, last thing, and this one's real special, so everybody should write this down because everybody probably knows a teenager somewhere. Rock City Youth is going to summer camp for the very first time ever in the history of our youth ministry, June 26th through the 30th. And we are so pumped. We saw what God did in just basically one full day at winter camp, uh, but we're going to get a whole week together uh, at summer camp. And so I'm excited about that. Are you, are you ready to dive into the last week of Divine Direction? Okay, three people are ready. Are you ready to dive into? Come on. 
There we go. Thank you, Brother Rodney in the back. It's good to have you in church today. Divine Direction, seven decisions that will change your life. I'm wrapping up the series today, and my prayer has been all week that God would begin to stir something in you that will change the course of your life forever. That he would begin to call you in a new direction, that you would have to turn from something old and turn towards something new, that you would step into your destiny and away from your comfort zone. Because in order to start something new, we got to walk away from the old. Amen. All right, let's pray. God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sights. Oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Jesus' name, amen. 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 Today is the last day of 21 days of prayer and fasting. Okay. Now I'm excited because God has shown me a lot in 21 days, but I'm also excited because this morning, Uh, I got to eat some donut holes, okay? (laughs) There's always donut holes back there, and usually I stop by, and every week I've been, like, peeking in, and they're there for the kids, but I also, whatever's left, I usually take. And so I'm peeking in and seeing them, and for some reason, the urge to walk over to them, and I'm like, no, wait, no, I'm I'm fasting. So I have to avoid that room at all costs. But uh, today, not only did I get one box of donut holes, but uh, there's two back there. And uh, so I've already had four. So if at some point my body's not used, <laughs> my body's not used to this sugar yet. So at some point, um, if I get like a lot of energy, the donut holes have kicked in. But uh, I, I know that a lot of us have been praying and fasting, and we've been asking God uh, to do something in our lives, to show us something in our lives. And uh, I just I just pray that if you've been asking for direction in your life, I, I just pray that you're you're ready to receive direction. How many people know that sometimes when you ask God for direction, he gives you something you never even imagined. He gives you something larger than you thought. You were praying for one thing. You said direction in my life. And God said, okay, I'm answering your prayers. Here it is. You're going to have to be ready. And so today's message is, uh, I want you to say it to somebody near you. Today's message is the faith to start. Say it to somebody else. Say the faith to start. Now say it louder. You have to have the faith to start. Now that seems silly to name a whole message, the faith to start. But I don't know about you. I've got an old house. My house is like 123 years old. And so there's like just ugh, always things wrong. And sometimes a project seems so big that I put it off for months and months and months because I can't even picture in my mind how I'm going to finish this project. So I don't even start it. I do that with the call of God sometimes. When it comes to the calling of God and divine direction, it's often the start that stops us. We often don't even start walking with God because we don't even know where he's headed with us yet. And so we don't even begin the journey with him. Maybe it seems impossible. Maybe you're damaged and you're messed up. You're, you're crazy or something. And you think, how could God use a crazy, messed up mess like me to do what he wants to do on the earth? And so you count yourself out. But here's the problem with counting yourself out. You don't allow God to do something incredible through you. So not only do you count yourself out, but you're counting God out as well. Now, this seems obvious, okay? It's your first feeling, I think. It seems obvious, but I need to say it. You will never, ever finish something that you don't start. Right? 
You'll never finish something that you don't start. I feel like I need to get that out of the way right away. You need to write that down. You need to put that up somewhere. You'll never finish what you don't start. In this final week of divine direction, I pray uh, that God will give you the faith to start in the direction that he is calling you, a direction that will change the course of your life forever. And to do so, we're going to look at a man named Nehemiah. Everybody say Nehemiah. Nehemiah. And if you, if you grew up in church, if you're like me, um, my church didn't really, like Nehemiah was not like the main character of most of the stories that I heard, right? Like, so we didn't really study Nehemiah a ton as a kid in Bible school and Sunday school, what we used to call it back in the day. Um, But, so I'm going to give you like a little bit of an overview of what's happening in the days of Nehemiah. So basically, um, God does this often, but he looks at his people and says, hey, I want you to follow me, worship me, and obey me. Basically, he's like, I know what's best for you. I created you. Why would you not follow me? Worship me, obey me. And then what do his people do? They do the opposite, right? They don't follow, they don't worship, they don't obey. So in this case, God allows the Israelites to be overthrown and overtaken by the Babylonians. Babylonians come in, they tear down the walls of the city, they tear down the temple, they burn the city to the ground, and they take God's people captive. See, what can happen to us sometimes when we don't follow God is that we end up captive to someone else. That wasn't even written down. It's an extra little nugget for you. But we pick up the story about 140 years later with Nehemiah. God gives this man what we're going to call today a divine burden. Everybody say divine burden. burden. He gives him what's called a divine burden. And the divine burden is basically go back and and rebuild the walls of the city. Go back. Rebuild the walls. And Nehemiah is looking at what's happening. And because of this divine burden he has on his heart now, he's looking around. He's going, this isn't right. We're God's people. This is God's place. We got to do something about this. In fact, I'm going to commit my life to making sure something happens about this. Some of you have a divine burden, but you haven't been seeing it as a divine burden. There's something in your life that for some reason just bothers you. Every time you see it or hear about it, it just tears you up inside. And you have the urge to change it and to do something about it. Pastor Chad often talks about the divine burden he had to start this church. He was looking away and all of his friends were falling away from God and he had to start the church. He had to do something about it. He could not just sit idly by while his generation perished. So he starts the church and how many people are thankful that Pastor Chad is not just reaching people in his generation, but he's reaching people in his parents' generation and he's reaching people in his kids' generation. Are you thankful for a multi-generational church? Because he had a divine burden. When I was 19 years old, I I used to work at a a, a summer camp. I was saved at summer camp. So that's why summer camp, like, again, get your kids to summer camp. I was saved at summer camp in the year 2000. I was 10 years old. And um, some of you are like, whoa. (laughs) He's old. Um, Then the rest of you are like, he's He's young. (laughs) But I'm sitting on this stage at, at, a, at a summer camp, and I can, I can hear, I'm working at the summer camp now, and I can, I can hear so many things happening. Kids playing in the field, and kids worshiping in one of our chapels, and kids splashing in the pool and hanging out at the canteen, and, and kids sitting on the porch chit-chatting before dinner. And all of a sudden, my heart began to break. And you might be thinking, well, why would your heart break? All those sound like really good things. They were really good things. But it was Thursday evening. The kids go home on Friday. 
My heart broke because I knew that once they left the gates of the camp, they were returning to chaos and darkness. Once they left the gates of the camp, it would be another year probably before they encountered Jesus in a powerful way. I wanted kids to know you don't have to wait to come here to camp and hang out with us in order to talk about Jesus or in order to encounter Jesus. But in fact, when you give your life to him, you didn't have his Holy Spirit and he's everywhere you are. And so at 19, I got this divine burden to do something about it, to impact the lives of young people. Pastor Chad's divine burden led him to start Rock City Church. And I'm thankful because my divine burden led me to work here as the youth pastor. Your divine burden often reveals your divine direction. Your divine burden will often reveal your divine direction. That which your heart aches for on behalf of God often reveals something that God wants you to do. I'm not sure what that is for you. Maybe you're a man and you're sitting here and you struggle with pornography for years. And you're finally, you finally broke free of the chains of addiction, but for some reason your heart is breaking because you know there's young men all across this room and every room we're in, in the school systems, wherever they are, who are struggling with the same thing and they can't break free. And you feel like you need to do something about it. Let me tell you, maybe that's the divine direction God wants to pull you in. Or maybe you're a married couple and your marriage is really strong now, but two, three years ago you couldn't say the same. Maybe you were separated two, three years ago living in two separate houses, or maybe you were living together but not really married, and maybe your marriage is strong now, but your heart is aching. You've been having conversations over the last month or so about what you can do because both of you, your heart is aching for the couples who are going through the same thing you went through. You know for a fact there are marriages that are breaking all around you. You don't know what to do about it. Maybe that's your divine burden, and God wants to lead you to do something about it. Maybe you're looking at the school system and you see how crazy the school system is. Maybe that's your divine burden. Maybe you're looking at the foster care system and you might see how crazy that is. Maybe that's your divine burden. Maybe you're thinking, I can't, I can't foster every child, but maybe we can foster one. I can't foster every child, but maybe we can foster two. I can't work in every school or be in every school, but maybe I can volunteer or go work at one. There's a school down the street from my house. Maybe I can change and impact that school. Your divine burden is revealing your divine direction. This happened to Nehemiah. So what do you do when you have this kind of burden? See, Nehemiah was a cupbearer. If you don't know what that means, it basically means when the king was thirsty, Nehemiah had the cup. And so he would bring the king his wine and he would taste it before he gave it to the king. And some of you are like, yes, it's a good job. (laughs) Sign me up. They still have those? But he wasn't tasting it to be like, oh, sir, this is a shadow of blah, blah, blah. I'm tasting notes of blah, 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 blah. That's not why he was tasting it. He was tasting it to make sure it wasn't poisoned. So then if it was poisoned, Nehemiah would die and the king would be like, no thanks. How many people want to sign up for that job now? Not many. So here he is, a cupbearer, seemingly unprepared to do the thing God is calling him to do, which is go back, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, rebuild the city, rebuild a culture. Nehemiah is a cupbearer. Pastor Chad is looking, and there's no church for him to build. There's no one here. 
God put a divine burden on his heart. He was not prepared to lead a church at that age. You, you, don't, you didn't want Pastor Chad at that age leading this church. You didn't want, that was back when, you know, he was still setting his chest hair on fire. <laughs> you don't really want that. You didn't want 19, parents, you didn't want 19-year-old Kayim leading your students. You just didn't. So what do you do? When God is pulling you in a direction, you do what Nehemiah does. Right off the bat, Nehemiah 1, 5, he goes to the Lord in prayer. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God. I want to stop there and encourage you. In your prayer life, I love how Nehemiah starts by just saying, God, you are awesome and you are great. I think sometimes maybe we approach prayer a little too casually and we forget who we're talking to, but we're talking to an awesome and great God. Amen? So he, he starts out, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we, the Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. The first thing you do when you feel a divine burden moving you in a divine direction is you take it to God in prayer. You take it to God in prayer. My four-year-old is the smartest four-year-old on the planet. I guarantee it. You put your four-year-old up against my four-year-old, she's beating her. She's learning to read, and my wife does most of the reading lessons, but lately I've been home a little bit to do some reading lessons, and there's something I've noticed. She knows a lot of sounds. Individually, the letters, she knows the sounds. But you put them all together, and if it's a new word, immediately she looks at it, she gets frustrated, and she curls up in a ball and starts, like, whining and crying because she's so frustrated by the word on the board. She's so scared to even try it. But then what she forgets is that daddy's sitting right behind her, and daddy knows the word. Daddy could read the word. She doesn't ask for help. That's not her first inclination is to ask for help. Guess who else is like my four-year-old? Everybody should raise their hand right now. You're like my four-year-old. God is saying, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. I'm leading you here. I want you to do this. And what do we do? We look at it and we go, I don't know what to do. And God is standing right behind us like, I do. Just come to me for help. I'm not going to barge into your life. I want you to come to me for help. Nehemiah goes to God for help. He prays all these things. He confesses his sins, which is something we probably need to do more often in our prayers. And before we ask for anything, just admit, hey, we ain't done it. We ain't done it right. We've done some things wrong. Please forgive us before you send us out on our way. So he asks for forgiveness. He admits that he's done some things wrong. And then he says, would you give me favor with the king? Because what I'm about to ask is insane. So basically, I'm about to go to the king as a cupbearer and say, hey, uh, I need some days off. Um, and I need some days off and permission to go 850 miles away to rebuild a city, to rebuild uh, obedience, to rebuild a, a, a respect for God amongst the people. After this prayer, God grants Nehemiah favor with the king. Nehemiah is about to do something huge, right? So this begs the question, how do we start something big? Now, big could mean different things for you. Big can mean losing 20 pounds. That's huge. Big, big can mean getting your money in order. That's huge. Big can mean getting your marriage in order. That's huge. Big can mean starting a business. 
That's huge. Big can mean different things for all of us. But when I say big, I mean, take, uh, I'm talking about what God calls you to do that's significant. So how do you start something big? You want to know the answer? You start small. How do you start something big? You start small. We don't like starting small. I don't like starting small. My wife and I uh, led a, a small group um, <laughs> in Westerville when our church was at Westerville Central High School. Uh, we, I was the youth pastor, pretty new at it, and uh, I was seeing all these students coming in and out of the door. So I was like, oh, yeah, it's, it's on, right? We're going to find a place to meet, and we're going to pack it out, and small groups is going to be huge. And so we start inviting kids, and we find this incredible family that, uh, that attended our Westerville campus. They now attend our Polaris campus, and um, they, they said, you can have our basement anytime you want. Every week, you can have it. We, when we go to Italy for three weeks and whatnot, here's the code. You can have it. We found this incredible. So I felt like, yes, God set me up. It's good. God set me up. So we start inviting kids, come, come to small groups, come to small groups, come to small groups, and, and we're pumped. We, we get there the first night, and, and Lydia and I are, are, are excited. We're a little nervous, and uh, we're sitting downstairs. The doorbell rings. We go upstairs, and I greet a couple kids. And then the doorbell didn't ring again. Just two kids, two middle school boys. Actually, one of them, I think, was in fifth grade. He was just, like, super smart, so he skipped. And so, technically, he was smarter. He was, like, smart enough to be in sixth grade, but, like, not mature enough. Anyway. Um, <laughs> and, and, and he was this... These boys, they weren't the boys I pictured. I love them. They just weren't the boys I pictured starting this small group with. They were into things like dragons and, and dragons. <laughs> that should be enough. I'm more of like a sports guy. Music and sports. If you come in talking about that, that's great. When you talk about dragons, I don't know what to do. <laughs> we started small. Their sister dropped them off and left. She was 16. She should have come with. She was like, no, I'm not going down there. (laughs) But we started small. The next week she came. And then the next week a girl named Hosanna came and she was not happy to be there. I could see that she had been crying and her parents had clearly made her come to this small group. But she kept coming back. And so then we had four for a while. And then, and then finally the kids that lived in the house that we were meeting in, in their basement, and one of them who's room was in the basement. She finally came out of her room and joined the small group. We started small, but we kept showing up. And one day the door opened and we hear, and like eight to 10 more kids come downstairs. Kids we had been praying for and asking for them to come, they came downstairs. Our group went from two to four to five to six to 10 to 16 and sometimes more. I was finally seeing what God had shown me, but it started small. You have to start small. Those days make me think of Zechariah 4.10. It says, do not despise, despise small beginnings, For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. He rejoices to see the work begin. He rejoices when it's finished, but he rejoices to see the work begin. I love that. When we gathered those two young boys and we talked about dragons for an hour, the Lord rejoiced because the work had begun. I don't care who you are. My son just started walking. I don't care who you are. You can be the grumpiest person in this room right now or at another location or watching on TV. I don't care who you are. If he got up here and started walking right now, he put a smile on your face, okay? Okay? 
there's something about seeing something start that makes the Lord rejoice, that makes us rejoice, even if it's a little shaky, right? When my son finally stood up and did this, and then, right? It looks crazy, but I was like, yes, thank you, son. You're doing such a great job. You're the best walker ever. The Lord does the same thing. He's saying, son, daughter, I'm calling you here. Come on. Come on. I'm leading you here. Come on. And when we finally turn and take a couple wobbly zombie steps of faith in the direction God's calling us to, he rejoices. And when we inevitably fall down, when we fall down, we're bound to fall down. He doesn't look at us and say, I should have never believed in you. You're so dumb. You're so useless. No, he doesn't do that. He does what we do with our kids. We pick them back up. We smack them on the bottom and we send them on their way. He does the same thing for us. Get up, son. Get up, daughter. Let's keep moving. It's not over yet. He loves to see things start. If you look at Nehemiah's story, it can look like a TikTok of like, you know, um, a fixer-upper house where it's like, you know, old house that's like falling over and then all of a sudden they like, Snap their fingers and it's all of a sudden like a $2 million house. You're like, whoa, that's incredible. But what we don't see in those videos is the months, maybe years of hard work. When you look at Nehemiah's story, yeah, the wall got built. But before that, the people had to work their butts off. And before that, they were under attack. And so they had to be ready for war and build a wall. And before that, he had to rally the people. And before that, he had to wait three days. He had to survey. He had to investigate. Before that, he had to travel 850 miles. And before that, he had to ask the king for permission and pack a bag. And before that, he had to pray to God. And before that, he had to have a divine burden and accept that divine burden and uh, commit to do something about it. He didn't just do something big. He did it small. Those small steps led to something big. If you want to start something big. Got to start small. Nehemiah 2, 17 and 18. Then I said to them, you, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king has said to me. They replied, here it is. Let us start rebuilding. So they began the good work. Some of us need to start rebuilding. You need to begin the good work. They had to start. You have to have the faith to start small. No clue what's going on, what's going to happen next. No clue how it's going to end. No clue how long it's going to take. You got to start small. We get so hung up on every little detail that then we don't even start. You don't have to have the, the faith to finish. You just have to have the faith to start. I'll say it again. I don't know if everybody heard me. You don't have to have the faith to finish. You just have to have the faith to start. Let God worry about the direction. Let God worry about the path. You just follow. You just start. I love our church. I love that right now there's four locations joined together hearing the word of God. and We're on television and online and in correctional facilities. But it ain't always been like this. We ain't always had this. Believe me. We dreamed of this. In fact, let me tell you what our church looked like 11, almost 12 years ago. That's it. That's Pastor Chad and Katie's small group. All they had was a dream of starting a church and a small group of people willing to take some steps of faith. They met in a condo where Pastor Chad and Katie lived. They used one condo for a small group and one condo 
for the kids, for childcare. Now look around. This is what our church looks like today. This is what our church looks like today. It didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen overnight. Throw up the picture of our very first worship leader. Come on. He still likes to think he's the best worship leader this church has ever had. And I would agree. I hope you hear that. But he had to do it. He had to lead worship, and then he would run to the side of the stage and change his shirt and then come back out and act like nobody knew. It was just him leading worship. (laughs) Come on, somebody. (laughs) Wasn't worship incredible? (laughs) But he had to do that, right? Because we were small. There was no one else here to do it. But now, how many people are thankful that he no longer has to lead worship because he's raised up leaders and now we can lead worship in four different locations at the same time? It doesn't happen overnight. Pastor Chad asked me to be the youth pastor three times. I said, no. I said, no, I'm good. He said, well, think about it. And I came back, no, I'm good. He asked me again. I was like, okay, I'll do it. I'm so thankful that he did, but we had to start small. I love where Rock City Youth is now, but let me show you a picture of our very first youth night. This is us in Westerville Central uh, High School, and as you can see, there's only four rows of students, and there were like a billion rows after that. It was a little bit discouraging, but now let me show you what Rock City Youth looks like now and on youth night. That's our last youth night in December. That's our last. We just had to start. We just had to start. We had to have the faith to start something. Things don't go from that, from from small to large overnight, amen? You don't go from a small group to a large church overnight. You don't go from leading worship and having to preach every single Sunday to being able to have a team lead worship in four locations overnight. You don't go from zero salvations to over 32,000 salvations in the year, in 12 years overnight. You don't do that overnight. You don't go from 30 students to 300 and 400, 500 students overnight. It doesn't happen overnight. You have to start small been here almost seven years and oftentimes pastor, people come and ask Pastor Chad, did you ever, man, this is amazing. Did you ever think we would be here? Did you ever think that your church would look like this? And Pastor Chad goes, yeah. Duh. Why, 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 would, why, why would I doubt what God showed me? You see, Pastor Chad knew he had to start small. He didn't have to dream small. He didn't have to think small. So you have to have the faith to dream big and the faith to start small. But here's the thing, my friends. The more and more you walk and step with God in his divine direction, your divine direction will be met with growing opposition. Now, I use the word growing. It's not just opposition, growing opposition, because here's how it starts. You can't do that. It starts here. You can't do that. You're never going to be able to accomplish that. And then it gets louder. You're never going to be able to accomplish that. And then the, the, the whispers turn into yelling, and the yelling turns into attacks on your family and on your friends, right? It turns into your friends turning their back on you as you continue to walk with God. You will be faced with growing opposition. Nehemiah was faced with growing opposition. Nehemiah 2, 19 and 20. But when Sambalat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and 
And Geshem the Arab heard about it. They mocked and ridiculed us. What is it that you're doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you will have no share in Jerusalem or any claim to its historic right. I love Nehemiah in this moment. People are mocking and ridiculing him. And he doesn't go, oh, man, they're right. I'm not going to be able to do this. He looks at them and says, hey, the God of heaven will give us success. We're going to start rebuilding. Some of us need to do that today. When someone comes to you and opposes what you're doing for God, hey, God's going to give me success. I'm not worried about it. We're, gonna, we're just going to get back to work. Here's what Nehemiah does. He doesn't stop taking steps. He just took the next step. When faced with opposition, he took the next step. We have to have the faith to start small and then take the next step and the next step and the next step. We've had plenty of opposition in our 11 years as a church, but we just keep moving forward. We just keep taking the next step. We just keep walking with God. And Nehemiah continues to take the next step and the opposition grows just a few chapters later in chapter four, verse seven. Now, even more people are coming against him and now they're threatening a a, a physical altercation as the Israelites continue to build the wall. So at some point, Nehemiah has people building the wall and then he's handing them shields and spears and swords. And so they've got one hand on the wall and one hand on a weapon ready to battle. They've got one hand building, one hand ready for battle. How many people know when you walk with God, the enemy's gonna keep coming after you. You gotta keep walking, but you also gotta be ready for battle. You gotta be ready. He's not gonna stop. The more and more you walk with God, the more and more the enemy's gonna hate you. You gotta be ready to keep on moving. But you also got to be ready to defend yourself from the attacks, just like the people did. Nehemiah just took the next step. He said, God, give me favor with the king. He took the next step. Give me a donkey. He took the next step. I'm going to travel to Jerusalem. Took the next step. I laid the first brick down. He took the next step. Once the wall was built, guess what? The work wasn't done. He had a temple to rebuild, so he took the next step. He had an economy to rebuild, so they took the next step. A culture to rebuild, took the next step. And obedience to God to rebuild, so they took the next step. Listen closely, my friends. The work isn't over this side of heaven. Once once you're in Christ Jesus, the work is done on the other side. He didn't say, go make disciples, but then when you get to like 50 disciples, you're good. You can just chill till I come back and get you. No, no, no. Go make disciples of all nations. How many? Just go. Just go. The work isn't done this side of heaven. Instead, when we get to heaven, it'll be done. The work isn't done for this church because as we keep walking in obedience, guess what? There's another campus. When we keep walking in obedience, guess what? There's a prison ministry. There's an organization on OSU's campus. There's a worship album. There's a youth ministry. There's a winter camp. There's a summer camp. There's another leadership opportunity. Maybe for you, there's a business. There's a new career. There's a foster child. There's an adopted child. There's a husband or a wife. I don't know what's on the other side of your obedience to God. But here's what I do know. God's blessing always follows obedience. Pastor Chad and Katie were obedient to the call to move to Columbus, Ohio and start a church and blessing followed. Obedient with their small group and blessing followed. 
obedient in a movie theater, the Linux, and then when we outgrew it, blessing followed. They were obedient to give and serve outside the walls of our church. And so Stephen Wanda Campbell sat him down and said, hey, we want to give you this building and we want you to use it for ministry. We were obedient, so we got the short north. And then when our church was closing its doors in Polaris, we had been obedient and and Westerville, we closed Westerville and moved to Polaris. They called us first. They said, we know that you're obedient to God's call, so here are the keys to the church. Do something great for the kingdom with it. Blessing follows obedience. Someday you'll look back and every small step you've taken has added up to something incredible. Galatians 6, 9 says this, do not grow weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. My friends, do not grow weary in doing good. Do not grow weary in doing good. Just take the next step and the next step and the next step. Keep moving forward as if you were absolutely positive that God was behind you. Do not grow weary. Maybe there's been something on your your heart for a while and you haven't moved on it. Maybe it is to drop some weight. And maybe, maybe you've grown, grown weary in the last couple of weeks or the month or so since the new year. Maybe you've given up on that resolution. Hey, pick up the weights, push, start on that treadmill, get back to work. Don't grow weary. Your family needs you healthy. God needs you healthy to carry out what he's going to do. Maybe for you, you're up to, you're up to debt. You're up to your neck in debt. And you need to get your money right. After church today, drive past the rusty bucket. Drive past the McDonald's, drive past Taco Bell, go home, make lunch at home today. Tomorrow morning when you get up, don't go to Starbucks, don't go to Tim, you should never go to Tim Hortons. (laughs) Except for the donut holes, amen? But don't spend $5 on coffee, make it at home. (laughs) That $5, five days a week is $25. That four times a month is $100. Start small. You got to start somewhere. Maybe your your goal is to be more like Jesus. (laughs) When you open your eyes in the morning, don't open your email, open your Bible. Don't open TikTok, don't open Slack or Teams or whatever it is you use. Don't, Don't work as soon as you get up. Open your Bible. Spend some time in prayer. Spend some more time like him. You'll be more like him. Start small. Okay, I'm gonna wrap it up. Dream big. Say dream big. Start small. Be faithful. Whatever God hands you, be faithful with it. Believe that what it is he said is going to come to pass. The small group that started in the basement, we were faithful with it. We were faithful with three. We were faithful with 16. And now that small group is our Polaris Youth Ministry, which is headed by a couple of great people, Indy and Kristen Newland. We we were able to hand that off to them because we were faithful with what we had. We got four students in Bible college from that small group. Many more are serving in youth ministry and they love the Lord with all their heart. In fact, one of them was on the platform this morning helping lead you in worship. We started small and we were faithful. Be faithful to what God put in your heart. Start small. It might take 15 years for you to see the dream that God gave you. And guess what? Then the dream is going to get bigger. The dream for this church isn't over. 
I believe, you better believe me when Pastor Chad has another dream and the next dream. The dream only gets bigger. But guess what? Wherever we are right now, we're going to be faithful. This church has been faithful with a small group. We were faithful in a movie theater. We were faithful at the Regal and at the Fawcett Center. We were faithful at Westerville Central High School, Upper Arlington High School. We're faithful here in Hilliard. We'll be faithful in Polaris. We'll be faithful in Whitehall. We're faithful in the short north. And if God should call us to do something outside this city, we'll be faithful then. Be faithful. Go ahead and stand at your feet for me. Every location. I don't know what you came in here thinking or or carrying. Maybe your divine burden is the fact that you haven't put faith in Jesus. Maybe you've been showing up every week and playing church. And God's been like, no, I got more for you. Put your faith in my son and let's get to work. If that's you, I want you to pray with me. So every head bow, every eye closed, let's pray. Lord Jesus, for far too long, I've kept you out of my life. I know I'm a sinner and that I cannot save myself. No longer will I close the door when I hear you knocking, but by faith, I gratefully receive the gift of salvation. I'm ready to trust you as Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to earth for dying on the cross. I believe you are the son of God. You died on the cross to save me from my sins and you rose in all power on the third day. Thank you for bearing the sins that kept me away from God and giving me the gift of eternal life. I believe your words are true. Come into my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Now there's another... There's another person I want to pray for at every location. Maybe over the last 21 days, you've, you've felt a divine burden on your heart and you weren't sure what to do with it until now. Maybe you're a little bit afraid to move on it. I think God's saying it's time to move. So if that's you, here's what I want you to do. Every head bow, every eye closed. If there's something in your life that you know you're supposed to move on, but you need the faith to move, I want you to raise your hand. It's just me. Just me watching. I know there's hands up at Whitehall and Short North and in the Polaris, in Polaris. And all over this room here, their hands up. Come on. I know there's some people here who've got a burden on their heart. You're not sure where it's gonna go, but you need the faith to start. I wanna pray for you. God, right now, for each and every person whose hand is up, I pray that you would give them the strength, the courage, the faith to just start. Help us not to worry about what's at the end, but God, just help us take the step that you need us to step to get going. We know you rejoice to see the work begin. And right now we commit to letting the good work begin and we will not grow weary in doing good. We will not give up on doing good. We know there is a harvest to reap and we want to reap it, God. And we know that every step of the way, you're beside us, you're behind us, you're in front of us, you're all around us. And so today we commit, we're going to step out in faith. We worship you in Jesus' name. Come on.